Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech Africa series. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors, incumbents, and ecosystem hub leaders from Africa. And this episode is hosted by Patrick. Welcome to the Voice of Fintech Africa series. In the midst of all the buzz surrounding the relatively large raises and exits in Africa's startup industry, we'll hear from one who places their bets at an early stage, putting founders in a position to grow and make an impact on a larger scale. Lavanya Anand is a principal at Bested World, an investor with diversified interests in startups across East and West Africa, and she's here to tell us more about it. Hi, Lavanya, how have you been? Hi, Patrick, I've been good. How about you? Not bad, not bad at all. We're here to hear more about you. So maybe we'd start with telling us more about yourself and uh, where your passion for investment comes from and how did you end up where you are at your current uh, position? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so as you mentioned, I'm currently a principal at Vested World. I have been with the firm for about four years now and have been based in Nairobi, Kenya for the last three years. So thinking back to where the, the journey began, um, I was actually born in Delhi, India, and I moved over to the U.S. when I was six years old. And I think just that transition from India in the 90s to the U.S. around the same time, I was shocked by the differences between those two worlds. And I also saw those 20 years after that, I would you know, visit India every couple of years, still have a lot of family there. And I saw the, the massive development that was taking place there and the rise of the tech ecosystem as well. And that, I think, was the first thing that really sparked my interest in emerging markets. Um, and investing in innovation as a means for economic growth. So fast forward a few years, I studied business economics and accounting at UCLA and started my career in public accounting and corporate finance, but realized I really wanted to do something that was a bit more mission-driven and ideally working abroad. So figured I would go to business school as a way to transition uh, my career. And that was probably the best decision that I've made uh, to date and Basically, when I was doing my MBA at Chicago Booth, did a bunch of internships, just tried to learn as much as possible about, about emerging markets, about the investment world, about international development. And fortunately, I met Vested World, who was based in Chicago at the time, and started working with them on a part-time basis while I was finishing up my program. And they were also raising um, their first fund around the same time. So luckily, I was able to, they were able to hire me basically when I was graduating from my, my program. This was in... And I joined as the the first employee um, to join the two partners in the fund and then, yeah, moved over to Kenya shortly after to open up our our office here. And it's been a great experience ever since. That's interesting. Tell us more about Vested World. What's the scope of what you do? And could you describe the kinds of opportunities that your organization is interested in? Yeah, definitely. So we are a VC fund. Uh, we invest in early stage startups across uh, a variety of sectors in East and West Africa. So Kenya and Nigeria are the two countries where we've done the most investments, but we also have made investments in Uganda, in Rwanda, in Ghana, and are super excited about the ecosystem here. In terms of sectors, I mentioned we're pretty agnostic, but our, our thesis is really around economic development. And so what are the types of industries that are really going to move the needle in terms of job creation and, and economic growth? Um, so we like companies that are solving real problems. So not just for the top 5% of the population, but rather uh, a greater segment of the population. 
And this can be either directly through B2C businesses, direct to consumer, or it can also be indirectly improving the ecosystem through B2B business models. So some of the sectors that we are currently super excited about include health tech, uh, fintech, logistics, retail. So yeah, uh, definitely a variety of sectors, but there's a lot to, there's a lot to like and there's a lot to be excited about. Cool. Yeah. And how do you scout the ventures that you partner with and like, how does it all work? <laughs> yeah, good question. We have a variety of sources for deal flow. I'd say the most common is through our network of co-investors. I think we've been really deliberate about building relationships with investors that are earlier stage than us, that invest at the same stage as us, but also later stage investors who can come in after us. We've also built relationships with some accelerator and incubator programs, which are also on the rise in Africa. They tend to host demo days and share their cohorts of, of companies with investors like us. And then there's also some cases where we might discover companies through our own research, maybe reading articles, meeting companies at conferences. And then also some of the, one of the strongest sources of deal is when entrepreneurs refer other entrepreneurs to us. So I think that's always a, a good sign. Uh, but yeah, in any given year, we're sourcing probably like 400 companies per year. But ultimately, historically, we've at least invested in about five to 10 per year. So, so there's definitely a big funnel that, that, Come, that needs to come into play where we have to filter through all the you know, exciting companies that we see and really pick out the best ones that we think are going to be a good fit for our portfolio. The team is excited about uh, the opportunity itself is attractive. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit about how it works. I know there's more to it, but that's the high level. Yeah, there's more to it. So, so let's speak more about what, what, how, do you, how you define these best companies. What general expectations do you have from any company that you invest in? Yeah, it's a good question. So just to also clarify, we invest between seed and series B, I would say. Our, our average check size historically has been around 500,000. So we're not investing at the very earliest stages, but we're also not investing at the very you know latest stages. So some Usually it's like the second round of investment that a company is, is raising. At the end of the day, we are commercial investors. We have an impact lens. And so we do look for uh, opportunities where the impact and commercial success are aligned, but we're not necessarily sacrificing financial returns in place of impact, at least at this time. But yeah, ultimately I would say the most important things come down to the, the founding team. So that's extremely important because venture capital is a, is a long game. You're investing for, I would say, seven to eight years sometimes, if not longer. And you want to make sure that you are investing in a team and, a found, and founders that you trust and that you actually enjoy working with and that you want to help grow. So I think that's super important. They need to be coachable. They need to be willing to work with us. We often take board seats in our companies. And so that is a very important dynamic for us. Secondly, I would say the company should have some level of product market fit. Obviously, if it's an earlier stage company, they may not have as much revenue, but there should at least be some basis for why their product will work or why their solution will work and that people have a demand for it. So it could be in the form of signed up users, engagement with your product or service. It could be revenue. Ideally, we'd like to see at least a few hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue if possible as a way to show that people are actually engaging and, and, and buying your product. So I think that's important. And then maybe the last thing I'll mention is that there needs to be an aspiration for scale. Oftentimes we do meet companies uh, who are maybe more of an SME style of business who great business, but maybe not the best fit for a venture capital investment because their aspirations are not to be a $50 million revenue business or a hundred million dollar revenue business. Maybe they just want to get to five to $10 million in revenue. So there needs to be some aspiration 
to scale and a, and a large enough market that can actually absorb that scale. So I'd say those are some of the things that we look at. Obviously, again, it's easier said than done. It's actually probably one of the hardest parts of our job is narrowing down and really prioritizing which companies we want to invest in. And we also take a portfolio approach. And so we're trying, we're not trying to invest in, you know, 50% of our companies in one sector. We try to, to spread it out across a variety of sectors so that we're also getting diversification with respect to sector, with respect to geography, with respect to founding teams. So a mix of men and women in our portfolio. So there's other factors at play as well that kind of help us um, narrow down which companies we want to invest in. Thank you. That's interesting. I can imagine how difficult it is to decide who, who's the best fit and who you can't have, you can't have it all, right? Uh, I'm sure it's quite complicated for you, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's hard. Let's speak on the general euphoria surrounding African startups this year. In the first two months of 2022, we raised over a billion dollars and the trend is just continuing. Largely, the funds are going into the fintech space and we've heard some arguments that there's an imbalance that's not sufficient to realize economic transformation in Africa. What's your take on that? Yeah, so it's a great question. So first of all, I would say it's really great for the ecosystem that more capital is flowing into the continent. A few years ago when we started investing, this was definitely not the case. I think in 2018, there was maybe $500 million of, of investment, of VC investment into Africa. And now last year you had 4 to $5 billion. So it's a very different world than it was a few years ago. So definitely grateful for that. And I think this makes the ecosystem flourish and makes it a really healthy ecosystem because now you have that first first set of founders and, and startups that have success and then that breeds more success, right? Because the executives and founders from those companies maybe start second companies and, and, and then it flows from there. So it's really great for the ecosystem. I think with that said, we are, I, I agree with your statement about fintech and some of the imbalance that's happening. We are strong believers in investing across industries that support the backbone of African economies. The three verticals that we look at are agribusiness, consumer products and services, and enabling technologies. And we, while we think fintech is extremely critical infrastructure, especially when it comes to payments and access to credit and savings, we also need to invest in areas like logistics and food security and education uh, if we want to create more jobs and if we want to make everything else work. To give an example, you know, when it comes to food security, you have, you have farms on one end and you need to get produce over to the cities where you know, the majority of populations are. However, because of the poor logistics infrastructure that currently exists, there's a lot of middlemen, a lot of layers in between, which creates inefficiencies and actually results in the price of food being a lot more expensive than it needs to be. And without investing in logistics infrastructure and cold chain and, and improved productivity at the farm, you're never going to achieve full-on food security. And fintech alone will not solve these. Fintech can be an enabling factor. And again, it's, it, it is really critical, but by itself, it's not going to solve the issue of food security and making food more affordable for the masses. So, and those are the types of things that we care about. So we do invest across those sectors. But yeah, with that said, we have invested in two fintech companies out of our new fund. The two companies are, are Be Free and Simplify. These are, so Be Free is in the it's an automated debt collection company um, that is working with digital lenders to make uh, the cost of capital actually lower by reducing the risk of, of default and, and really just helping that ecosystem of credit. And then a company like Simplify is actually in the, it's in the remittance sector, but 
coming they've created a very innovative model where instead of actually moving moving money across borders they're actually enabling credit in for the bar, for the borrower in Africa and instead the money that the remitter would normally send is acting as a guarantor for the the loan that would be taken out within Africa. I think fintech again plays a really important role, and, and we're excited about these two investments. And then we have, you know, plenty of other investments as well that have embedded finance within their business models. Thanks for that. Uh, speaking of the fintech sector, which uh, consumes over seventy percent of the the funding going into Africa's startup sector, most of that is led by foreign-based VCs and angel. What role? could local capital play in the acceleration of the industry, in your view? Yeah, I actually think it's changing, um, especially in places like Nigeria and, and hopefully in, in other markets as well. I think local capital is, is really critical, especially at the pre-seed stage, so at the very earliest stage. And this is when the company is the riskiest, right? So if you can get validation of your prob- the problem you're trying to solve and your proposed solution by those who really understand the market, maybe are based, are working in the sector that you're trying to operate in, that really de-risks the business for future investors substantially. So hopefully it'll continue to, to happen. I think we're already seeing it, for example, with like bank executives or traditional bank executives are seeing all the innovation happening in fintech and they're saying hey we should probably catch up or we should probably have a sense of what's going on and so some of them are actually personally investing in startups so that they have some exposure to that i think it's a great sign um, that traditional executives are also investing in again there's still a lot more room to go because there's still this um lack of familiarity with startups in the African ecosystem, especially if you've traditionally, if you've worked in a more traditional sector, it's quite risky. You're more used to investing in land or real estate as, a, as an asset. And the question is always, why should I invest in this really risky startup and potentially get a return, but high chance of not getting a return. But I think once you start to see the benefits of investing at those earliest stages and, and the innovation that comes along with it and and in some cases, the financial returns that come along with it. Now you start to see that, okay, it's actually worth taking that bet. And I think the fact that we've now had a few unicorns within Africa has been instrumental in, in, in encouraging angel investors to be more risk tolerant and, and starting to take some of those bets because they've seen people actually exit and, and actually make money. And that wasn't the case a few years ago. At the same time, we're also seeing more and more local funds run by African fund managers that are raising funds. And so hopefully we'll see more of their investments between the seed and, and series B stage. Um, I think it'll still probably take some time for African funds to, to build a larger track record so that they are you know able to, to invest in, in larger rounds and larger checks. I think for at least in the near term, I believe that will still probably happen by many foreign funds. So like at the series B or later stage. However, again, it is changing. And the more African funds are able to create that track record, the more they'll be able to attract more capital for larger funds. So moving away from that, what's the other side of it? Could you share any mistakes that you've made or witnessed in your investing career? And what lessons did you learn from the experience? Yeah, we don't, we're learning as we go. So we're definitely making mistakes. And the thing about VC is that the feedback loop is quite long uh, because it's a 10-year fund. So you invest in year one, but you may not know if it's a successful investment until year 10. But in the meantime, ways, intermediate steps that we can take to measure our, our performance. But yeah, I would say for the investments that we've made that have gone the most poorly, it oftentimes came down to having issues 
with the, the founders. And like I mentioned earlier, it is one of the most critical things that we assess during our diligence, but it's not always easy to get that right, especially before investing. You're doing diligence for a few months. You try to get to know a team and a founder as much as possible. But again, you know, humans are humans. You, people change, people <laughs> act differently in different situations. And so you don't always know, you don't always have that perfect assessment. But one thing that we've tried to do more of is just trying to get character references on the team before each investment. So it's talking to more junior employees and getting their perspectives on the founding team. It's talking to former employers and getting their perspective, talking to their advisors or, or previous investors. So really just trying to get a better picture of who it is that you're actually going to be investing in for the next you know, 10 years. I would say we've also had challenges with some asset heavier business models. And I think that's largely because there's less capital flowing to these types of businesses from VC investors. At the earlier stages, it, it is quite hard to raise um, capital here because there's not necessarily a lot of technology in their business. So a lot of traditional VC funds will shy away from it. And they're not large enough to now attract private equity capital. So they're in this in-between stage where they need capital to, to scale, but there's just less funds who are looking at them. And so we've invested in some of those businesses, but we can't always provide all of the capital that's needed to you know, allow them to meet their milestones. Yeah. And so that can sometimes result in stagnating growth where they haven't been able to raise enough capital to really get that step change and reach that next level of scale to attract the larger investors. So what we've done in response is really just try to have some more line of sight into potential co-investors who can help the company actually achieve those milestones. We've in, in some of our terms, we've set like minimum fundraising amounts before dispersing our own capital so that we're not the only investor necessarily coming into the company because we know our limitations. We know we can't invest $5 million in one company to help them scale up. So we need others to, to also join us. So that's something that has been learning. I don't know if it's a mistake, but definitely a, a learning. And we still want to invest in those types of businesses, but we just have to be a bit more careful and more thoughtful about how we structure those investments. And then I think last thing I'll mention is that as you've probably noticed, valuations are going through the roof, especially for early stage tech companies. And I think it's something I'm grappling with. In some cases, I think it's deserved. In other cases, I think it might actually be setting up the founders for, for, for failure. And so it's something I'm a bit skeptical of. I think it sets the bar really high at a very early stage. Eventually, I think the business fundamentals start to actually matter, right? So at the seed stage, maybe at the series A stage, it's less important to have all the numbers and all having your unit economics sorted and everything like that. But once you start to raise um, larger amounts of money, and once you get to maybe, let's say, like a series B, that's when your fundamentals actually start to matter. The investors look for that kind of stuff, right? So if you haven't figured it out by then, it can come back to bite you. You can either, you may not be able to raise capital, in which case your business may need to shut down, or you, you are forced to raise capital at a lower valuation that you would like, resulting in a down run, which can cause even more dilution for a founder versus if you had just raised at a lower valuation to start. There's some dynamics at play that doesn't always mean a rising valuation is necessarily good. So we're trying to be careful about, we want to be part of the, we're excited by the hype and by the, the excitement around some of these companies, but we also need to be careful about not getting carried away and being okay with the FOMO that results of, of missing out on a deal that sounds really exciting, but it's maybe isn't the right, it's too expensive for us. Great. Thanks for sharing that. I think that was important to hear. How about the wins? What does winning look or feel like to you? 
it's definitely something that we we pay attention to because again, like I said, because of the long feedback loop, we need something to grab onto and, and get excited about in the interim. I'd say some of the things that some of the most exciting parts of what we do and some of the biggest wins is when we are able to catalyze more capital into the ecosystem and into our portfolio companies. As I mentioned, it can be really difficult to raise funding in, in Africa. It's becoming less difficult depending on the sector you're in, but it's, it's still largely difficult, especially compared to other markets. And so if we can get more people who maybe have previously never invested in Africa or, or are unfamiliar or in that sense are, if we can get them to buy into the, the vision and the story and invest, start investing in Africa for the first time, I think that's really, some of them, we invest into our companies or maybe we'll make introductions to between companies and other investors. And it's really just about building that ecosystem and bringing more capital in. So that's really exciting. Secondly, I'd say seeing personal growth in our entrepreneurs. Oftentimes, you know, we're maybe the first or second institutional investor to come into a business. The company is not necessarily the most structured at the time. They might be first-time founders, first-time, you know, operators. And we love to see them become better business people. We get to watch their trajectory over years and we see develop and mature as founders, as business people. Then they eventually start to pass and pass on learnings that they've had to other startups. And, and again, really growing that ecosystem. I think those are, that's a great win, I think for us as well, because we feel like we've been able to support them in that journey. And then I think thirdly, what I'd say is just helping solve really tough obstacles with our founders. The problems that companies in Africa are trying to solve are like the hardest problems I think in the world in some cases. So being able to be with them in the boardroom and helping them think through that is, is really rewarding. So it could be figuring out a distribution strategy. It could be figuring out how do it, how do you incentivize employees who, you know, don't even know what an ESOP is. So how do you get them, how do you like educate them on what is the value of shares in a business, right? When you're used to cash compensation, you don't, as a startup, you may not necessarily have all the cash in the world to, to pay employees market rate. So that's an, an interesting challenge. Also expanding to a new market, right? There's 54 countries in Africa and each one is different. So it's not as easy as expanding from one state to another in the U.S. It's, uh, you know, you have to deal with different, different regulations. You have to deal with different customer behaviors. So there's so many challenges that come with expanding to a new market and really sitting down with our founders and helping them think through that is, is really rewarding for, for us as investors. Thanks for that. So speaking of these other investors, what advice would you give to them considering to consider investing in the African market in general from your experience? Yeah, I would say take a take a chance. Uh, you can start small with a small check just to learn and get some comfort, maybe a, a size of check that you're comfortable potentially losing. And then, you know, you really start to fall in love with the ecosystem, right? Because there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of passion and a lot of growth. And you start then, once you fall in love, then you start to invest a bit more, become an early mover and something that I think has a potential to have enormous impact, enormous, incredible innovation. And, and ultimately, we think the future is in Africa, one of the fastest growing populations in the world. It has the largest youth population in the world, one of the fastest growing GDPs across um, multiple markets. And also it provides diversification from other developed markets. When things are happening in other parts of the world, sometimes Africa is uncorrelated with what's happening. In some cases, it, it is correlated. In other cases, it's not. And I think it's really in an increasing, increasingly globalized world, I think it's really important to have 
that diversification from a geographic standpoint, because yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. And I think Africa is a great place to to diversify. And yeah, ultimately the market is really right for disruption. I think there's so many opportunities for increased efficiencies and increased, um, yeah, and solving lots of problems. And I think there's really great entrepreneurs. And so it's just a really exciting place to, to be, um, especially uh, in this early stage that, that we're currently in. Oh, very cool. There you've heard it from her self. She says, take a leap, start small. The future is Africa. And, and I appeal to everybody to just check out Vested World and, and what else they're doing and all the markets they invested in and partner up with them. How do they go about contacting you, Lavanya, for deals, for advice? And what's your plug? Yeah, great question. I would say, at least for me personally, I won't speak for the rest of my team. I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. So if you are you know, operating a startup, if you work in the ecosystem and you'd like to connect, just feel free to send over a LinkedIn request and then I can share my email through that and start the conversation. Right. It's Lavanya Anand on LinkedIn. And in case there's a, as many Lavanya Anands out there that you find in your search, it's Lavanya Anand from Vested World. Well, then there you have it. And thanks, thanks so much for your time, Lavanya. And we look forward to following your your progress and probably hopefully have another conversation in future just, just to follow up on this. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for, for having me on the show. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.